And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Sean. And Sean writes, After a single season, it's been announced that Jupiter's legacy will be replaced with Super Crooks, a new show set in the same universe as Jupiter's legacy. Although Jupiter's legacy wasn't amazing, it's disappointing to see Netflix continue the trend of building a property up and then pulling the plug without any closure. Even if Super Crooks is a great continuation of the Miller World uh, brand, should we let ourselves care? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen. Jupiter's Legacy was a show that a lot of us got very hyped to see. The The graphic novel story is really great. The characters are good. It's a really interesting look at the whole genre superheroes. We started to see some teaser footage. A lot of us started to get pretty pumped. I like the cast. I, I like Josh Numel, and I love Leslie Bibb. Love her. And so there was a lot to be excited about. And then the show came. Well, the problem was the show wasn't very good. I mean, it's all subjective. I mean, if you watch it and you loved it, awesome. I was looking forward to it. I watched it. I was, I think it's fair to say, disappointed. I was kind of let down by it. It was not as good as the promise of it had to be. And I'll be honest with you, it started to become a little bit of a chore to get through to the end of it. There are certainly strong points to it. Jupiter's Legacy absolutely has some strengths to it. And... A a lot of the flashback stuff was done very well. The mythology behind it is really cool. There's a lot of good things there, but it just didn't execute. And by the time the show ended, it was like I didn't have any more desire to see anything further. And I know a lot of people who then just skipped watching it because they heard a lot of negative word of mouth. And by the way, Dino Vader uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So uh, there was that. So it really honestly comes as no surprise hearing all the negative word of mouth and talking to a lot of people who just skipped watching it at all. It was no surprise that we then got the news last night that Jupiter's legacy is done. Uh, The official announcement is that they've let the actors out of their contracts. They are no longer moving forward with any Jupiter's legacy. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rant who write the following. Jupiter's Legacy Season 1 ended with quite the cliffhanger, it really did, leaving the door wide open for the story to continue in a Season 2. Though Netflix had been quiet about the show's prospects in recent weeks, Millar's deal with Netflix and his eagerness to adapt his comics for the streamer seemed to indicate more would be on the way. In fact, Millar even said Jupiter's Legacy Season 2 was planned out. However, it now looks like Netflix isn't pursuing the utopian story arc any further. And once again, that comes to us from Screen Rant. Look, uh, I get it. I get it. Now, I also understand what you're writing in your email, Sean, when you say, man, you know, yet again, Netflix isn't letting a show go through to its conclusion. It's a business. Why would you, like, let, let me put it this way. Let's say, I don't know, you owned a lemonade stand, all right? Let's say, Sean, that you owned a lemonade stand and you put in 250 bucks to get a lemonade stand all set, stocked, up and running, did a little bit of marketing with that 250 bucks, and you invested 250 bucks in a lemonade stand for a weekend. And that lemonade stand only returned to you $100. Are you going to invest another $250 million next weekend? No, you're not. And, and nobody would be able to complain to you, 
well, Sean just isn't seeing it through. No, you tried it. It didn't work and it lost you money. And you're in a business. If you're making product and you're sinking money into a product and that product does not yield to you the returns you need, then you're not going to just go keep throwing money at it. Look, the reality is this. Jupiter's legacy was not that good. It's up to your individual interpretation, of course, but from my perspective, it just simply wasn't that good. There was a lot of people who didn't think it was all that good. It didn't get the viewership numbers they wanted, and it was a relatively expensive show to make. So if you're Netflix, are you going to rush out and drop more money on this thing? No. No, probably not. Probably not. You're not going to do that, and Netflix shouldn't do it either. It doesn't matter. Well, the story didn't finish. That's not a reason to drop another $100 million on something. Or $80 million, however much it costs for them to do an eight-episode season. I have no idea. But you're not going to do it. What is interesting in this story, though, I've got to admit, what's kind of interesting in this story is the idea that Netflix is still planning on doing a uh, super crooks show. That's the wrong button there. A super crooks show that is in the same world as the utopian and Jupiter's legacy. This to me is a very odd decision. Like if you gave this world a go and you had some really good compelling characters, cause I, I do think Jupiter's legacy had some really good compelling characters You had some really, really good, compelling characters and you had this whole world set up and you put it out and you got your main guy, Utopian, in there and it fell flat. I'm not quite sure why you'd be so anxious to rush ahead with another one that takes place in the same world. Now, who knows? Maybe they get for this super crooks team, which, by the way, is a stupid title, but uh, maybe the story is great. I've not read it myself. Maybe it's great. Understanding. So this super crook show will probably have a completely different set of creators. They'll probably have a completely different set of writers and it could end up being a much better show. It could. I still think it's a very odd decision. So yeah, I wasn't surprised at all to hear that Jupiter's a legacy got the ax and I'm not disappointed either. I, I mean, I get it. It's just honestly, if they did do a Jupiter's legacy season two, I probably wouldn't have watched it. Even though my girl Leslie Bibbs in there, I still probably wouldn't have watched it. It just kind of lost me that much. Anyway, the question is for you guys. What do you think about the cancellation of Jupiter's legacy? Maybe you're one of the people who really did enjoy it. Maybe you're bummed out about it. Maybe you didn't like it, but you still thought they should have got a second season. Or maybe you're like me where it's like, "Eh, I was disappointed by it and it makes sense that they didn't continue it. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Trent Haggins, who writes, Greetings, John and Aaron. Aaron is not here today. She's off shooting her NBC show, Good Girls, right now, but she'll be back next week. Like you, John, I was totally devastated at the surprise cancellation of Kim's Convenience, one of the best shows on TV. Anyway, it was my favorite show for about two years. Wondering if you had a chance to read the brutal post Simu Liu just wrote about the show's cancellation and some of the drama behind it. Personally, I feel a little icky, like some of that stuff shared should have been kept private, and some of it I'm really glad he shared. What did you think of his comments? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Simu Liu coming off of Kim's Convenience. Now, if the name sounds familiar, that's because this is our new Shang-Chi. Simu Liu is 
Marvel Shang-Chi coming out soon. Trailer dropped recently. Really liked it. Excited to see it. And I love him in Kim's Convenience. Kim's Convenience is this little Canadian sitcom show that I didn't watch. Like, I never even heard of it until it was already in, like, season three. So me and my wife started binging it, and we could not stop. And everybody I've talked to that watched, started watching Kim's Convenience loves it. It's amazing. It's just about this Korean family living the Canadian dream, moving to Canada, opening up, opening up a lo- little local uh, corner store, and it's just about their lives. And it's wonderful. It's charming. It's hilarious. It's funny. Um, it's just fantastic TV. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere recently, they announced they were shutting the show down for no reason. The CBC didn't cancel it. Netflix didn't cancel it. It's just that the producers of the show who own the rights just decided we don't want to make any more. And out of nowhere, with the show being incredibly successful, with all the cast and crew already thinking they were getting a season six, and they already started booking plans and everything, and then out of nowhere, the producer said they didn't want to do any more. Well, when the announcement was made that they were pulling the plug, Shang-Chi, Simu Lu, was quite public saying he was really disappointed about the fact that it was canceled and and he actually revealed that he was really actually quite upset about it, but he didn't say a lot more beyond that. Well, I guess yesterday he decided he wanted to vent some of his frustrations and he vented those frustrations at length. Like this is not a little, just some little thing he decided to throw out there. He decided to write about this at length. Now we're going to read some parts of it here because there are some things in here that uh, honestly is very disappointing to hear about the show and the situations canceling it. And I'm going to be honest with you. And you guys know, I love this guy. You guys have heard me talk about him. I'm a big fan of his. I'm so excited that he's Shang-Chi. He's so good in Kim's convenience. Couldn't be happier for him, blah, blah, blah. But while there are some things in this little rant of his that I'm pretty disappointed to hear about how the show ended. There's also some things he decided to write in here that makes me a little bit disappointed in him. And I say this as a fan. You guys know, if you watch my show, you know I am a fan of this guy. But he's also said some things in here that um, leaves me a little bit disappointed that he would have some of the attitudes that he has. Anyway, let's take a look at some of the stuff he said. Let's look at the first bit he wrote, wrote up here. Season five of Kim's Convenience comes out on Netflix today, and I'm feeling a host of emotions right now. It is, of course, our last season, thanks to a decision by our producers not to continue the show after the departure of two showrunners. There's been a lot of talk and speculation about what happened, and I want to do my best to give accurate information, so I'll itemize my thoughts below. Number one, the show can't be... You know what? Let's not even start with number one. Let's start with point number two, because what a lot of people assumed when Kim's Convenience got canceled was that, oh, I know why it got canceled. Kasimu Lu, now he's a Marvel superhero. Now he's Shang-Chi. Now he doesn't have time for these little, these little sitcoms. That's probably why the show got canceled. Well, Simu addressed that head on. Let's go jump down to part to number two here, where he says, I wanted to be a part of the sixth season. I've heard a lot of speculation surrounding myself, specifically about how getting a Marvel role went 
uh, meant I suddenly was too Hollywood for Canadian TV. This could be not. This could not be further from the truth. I love this show and everything it stood for. I saw firsthand how profoundly it impacted families and brought people together. It's truly so rare for a show today to have such an impact on people. I wanted very badly to make the schedules work. So listen. So one of the things that I'm glad he addressed. One of the very first things he comes out of the gate and says, "Listen, this had nothing to do with me." I wanted season six of this show. I desperately wanted season six of this show. Them canceling this had nothing to do with me being Hollywood and being Shang-Chi in a Marvel MCU movie. Had nothing to do with it. I wanted to be a part of the show. And I'm glad that he specified that because, listen, it even I agree. It looks a little suspicious when he gets to announce being in the MCU and then not long after that, Kim's Convenience gets canceled. I get that there was some speculation about that, but I'm glad that he addressed that right away. Let's go over to part one, though. This is key for people understanding the cancellation of the show. The show cannot be saved. It was not canceled in a traditional manner, i.e. by a network after poor ratings. Our producers, who also own the Kim's Convenience intellectual property, are the ones who chose not to continue. Neither CBC nor Netflix own the rights to Kim's Convenience. They merely license it. However, the producers of the show are indeed spinning off. This is disturbing. The producers of the show are indeed spinning off a new show for the Shannon character. It's been difficult for me. I love and I am proud of Nicole, the actress who plays Shannon on Kim's Convenience. I love and am proud of Nicole and I want the show to succeed for her. But I remain resentful of all the circumstances that led to the one non-Asian character in Kim's Convenience getting her own show. And not that they would ever ask, but I will adamantly refuse to reprise my role in any capacity. All right. This is actually a little bit messed up. And by the way, BMG501 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, BMG. Um, I did not know about this. So in Kim's Convenience, and let me see if I can uh, pull up a good Kim's Convenience uh, image here. But in Kim's Convenience, there is, of course, the one uh, non-Asian character. Okay, at least of the main cast, there's the one non-Asian character, which is the Shannon character, the girl in pink. And she's, I love this character. And she's wonderful in the show. Actually, all the characters are wonderful in the show. But Nicole, the actress who plays it, is she's great. But in this show that is supposed to be all about Asian culture, you know, the immigrant life, family coming to Canada or North America, as you will, coming to Canada or America, and about, you know, the, the juxtaposition of, of their cultural heritage with the, the, the West world that they're living in now and all this kind of stuff, to out of nowhere cancel that show when it is globally popular and people are loving it, it's winning awards, you get people on it like Simu Lu who's now blowing up and is going to be in the MCU and all that kind of stuff to say, oh yeah, we're canceling that show. But don't worry, guys. We've got a spinoff coming about the one white character. The one white character. Now listen, I don't know if you guys knew this. Um, like I, I've seen some speculation about it, but I'm not sure if you guys knew this or not. But sit down, hold on to your hats. I'm about to drop a bomb on you. I'm white. Didn't know if you knew that. Didn't know if you knew that. I'm a white dude. I like being a white dude. I like stories about white dudes and white girls and all sorts of people just as much as any other stories that I like. So don't get me wrong. 
But there is something inherently really messed up when you have this culturally diverse show about this specific, you know, family and their heritage, and you're going to cancel it out of nowhere, but continue it on with a spinoff of the one white character. You at least got to know the optics on that are bad. You have to at least recognize the optics at minimum. The optics on that are bad. And so, yeah, listen, when Simu Liu says um, in his thing, I don't think actually I don't think he sounds bitter at all because when he says, but I will adamantly refuse to reprise my role in any capacity in that show. It doesn't just sound like sour grapes to me. It sounds like a very reasonable response by a Korean Canadian actor coming out of a huge hit show about a Korean Canadian family. And they're just going to do a spinoff show about the one white girl. It, it, it just feels bad. It just does not look right. It doesn't feel right. Um, and all that kind of stuff. So I get it. So listening to Simu Liu talking about, you know, the producers just decided out of nowhere to cancel the show. CBC didn't want them to cancel it. Netflix didn't want them to cancel it. All that kind of stuff. They just decided to cancel out of nowhere. And it's left us all very upset. I, man, I feel bad for the guy. I totally do. And then hearing in the show about a Korean Canadian family and the whole cultural thing of the show and the one spinoff show they're going to do is about the white girl. Oh, come on. That, what brain trust thought this was going to play well? So there's, even though I love the character, I do. So there's that. The problem is, and we're not going to read Simu's article at length here, because as you can see, it's very, very long. But he, Simu Lu starts to devolve. And I'm going to encourage you guys to go to Simu Lu's own social media account and look up this post. Because again, I, it would take us a while to read through this whole thing. But he also starts getting into some, some stuff here that is basically him complaining. And he doesn't word it exactly like this. But when you start reading through it, this is how it plays out. Him complaining that he didn't have more control of the show. Because there's a, a number of the paragraphs he writes about, you know, I had story ideas and they wouldn't listen to me. And, you know, oh, we didn't get paid as much as the actors on Schitt's Creek. Well, yeah, the Le Levy family is in Schitt's Creek. Obviously, they're going to get more money. But, you know, we didn't get as much money as Schitt's Creek. They never came to us. They never took my creative ideas. I wanted to shadow and become like, a, maybe I wanted to direct some episodes. They wouldn't let me do it and all that kind of stuff. And Again, I will let you go and read his words yourself, but to me, it came across as, and I'm sure he's not like this, but his words did come across like this, that he is a whiny little spoiled actor. Like, here's the thing that I don't get. I don't know why actors think they're more important than other people. And I don't know why so many fans think actors are more important than other people. They are no less important than other people, but they are no more important than other people. Actors, like any crew member on a movie, are hired because they have a specific set of skills to come in and perform a specific function. Just like a cinematographer is hired because of his expertise to come in and perform a certain function to help a movie come together. Just as a set designer has a specific set of expertise that allows them to come in and exercise their expertise as a function to fulfill a role in making a movie or TV show happen. An actor has a specific set of skills that allows them to come in and help the producers make a certain TV show. But why, I, I, 
why actors like Simu Liu all of a sudden think that because they're an actor, they're entitled. Like, why don't I hear Simu Liu saying, oh, you know the guy who uh, did the lighting? They should be getting our story ideas from him. They should talk to him about getting his ideas for stories from the show. Oh, that carpenter who comes in and helps build our sets every day? Yeah, since he's a part of the show, they should go and start getting his ideas and start taking some of his script ideas for the show. Well, no, he's no actor ever says that. So why does an actor feel like they should be allowed to do that? Again, listen, I remain a fan of the guy. I think it just came across wrong. I don't think this is actually his attitude. I think it just, I think you're talking about a guy who was just very frustrated about an unceremonious, sudden, abrupt ending to a show that he loved being a part of and a lot of fans loved being a part of and then seeing they're doing a spinoff show of it about the one single non-Korean character in the show and I think you just are left now with a guy who's and a guy who's probably taken a lot of shit from people saying it's your fault they canceled Kim's Convenience. It's your fault because you're a Hollywood now. You add all that up, you've got a guy here who is probably extremely frustrated probably extremely emotional and just decided to vent. And I think some of the things he decided to vent came across the wrong way, at least to a reader like me. It's like, yeah, you're a really good actor, man. That doesn't mean they owed you a place at the writer's table. That doesn't mean they owed you consultation on how the show should go. I mean, if they want to do it, great. Some shows do do that with their actors, but it doesn't mean they owe it to you. But again, I don't think this is how he really is. I think he was just extremely frustrated because he's in a terrible situation that had nothing to do with him and it was not his fault at all. And he was probably now just venting it out. But that's my take on it. Question is, and by the way, Skylar Hillman sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, man. So the question is, guys, what do you think about uh, Simu's comments. I mean, there's some really unfortunate things he reveals here uh, about that that are very disturbing. It's also some things I don't think he should have written. Question is, guys, what do you think about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by... Aspor Loki, who writes, Hey, John, big fan here from Iceland. Well, thank you for writing in from Iceland, man. I appreciate that. First video I saw with you was where you and John Schnepp explain who the Guardians of the Galaxy are and have been hooked ever since. I'll tell you what, uh, Aspor, that was actually the first video John Schnepp and I ever did together. That one about Guardians of the Galaxy, interesting little side note here, that video about Guardians of the Galaxy was the very first video he and I ever did together. They had just announced a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I knew a lot of people didn't know much about the Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew a little bit, but I was no expert. So I contacted a friend of mine in the comic book world, say, hey, do you know anybody who knows a lot about Guardians of the Galaxy that I could have as a guest on my show to explain to people Guardians of the Galaxy? He said, yeah, I got this guy I know. His name's John Schnepp. I think he'd be really good. So I reach out and connect to John Schnepp. He comes in, does the show. That was the first video we ever did. And after that show was done, he and I were talking. We're like, you know, we have pretty good chemistry. We should do more of this. And then the rest was history. Anyway, let's get back to your question, shall we? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and, and have been hooked ever since. Anyway, my question concerns the theaters opening up. 
with theaters getting back in business, do you think there's a chance that any film slated for this year could pass the billion dollar mark? Also, what movies do you think have the most chance of achieving such a goal? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Aspor. And yeah, that has been a big topic of conversation lately. Uh, as we start, at least here in North America, as we start to come out of the pandemic, we're still in it but we're starting to make our way out of it. We're just starting to get in our view review mirror. More and more people getting themselves immunized, numbers dropping across the country. It's, it's great. It's a great, great sign. So as we've started to come out of this pandemic era in our movie world, the questions start coming up. Man, can any... First of all, there's been the question, can any film ever make a billion dollars again? I mean, there are some people asking that question. I think the answer to that is obviously yes. The answer to that question is yes, they absolutely can. The other questions become, okay, well, maybe not, can they make, you know, a million, a billion dollars now, but can they, um, let me bring this up here for a second. Can they, any movies of 2021 make a billion dollars at the box office? Now there was a period of time when a lot of us, including me and Rob both would say, well, probably not. I mean, there are movies in 2021 that will be able to make a good amount of money. But if you guys remember a couple of months ago, I said probably not any billion dollar films. I mean, there's some films that have a chance, but probably no, probably no uh, movies will make a billion dollars in 2021. Well, I'm not so sure about that anymore. And the main reason I'm not so sure about that anymore is because Godzilla versus Kong then came out. And Godzilla versus Kong, this franchise has not made tons of money. You know, compared to Star Wars or MCU or things like that, they have not made a ton of money. I think Godzilla King of the Monsters made somewhere in the $300 million range, right? But here we are. We were still in the pandemic. Godzilla versus Kong comes out and look how much money it makes. It started flirting with half a billion dollars. It made $436 million at the box office. Now, this isn't a Marvel movie. This isn't a Batman movie. This isn't a Star Wars movie. This isn't hell and even a Harry Potter movie. This is Godzilla versus Kong, a franchise that has not been doing all that well. And that we're still in the midst of the pandemic. This was really the first big film to come out and it made $436 million. And when that happened... I think myself and a lot of you guys had to reassess our position that no film in 2021 can possibly make a billion dollars. Because if Godzilla versus Kong comes out of the gate and makes $436 million, is it really that hard to believe that another film, maybe of a bigger franchise or with bigger potential, as the coronavirus pandemic continues to decline and more and more people get immunized and more and more theaters open up, is it really that impossible to think? that one of the remaining movies of 2021 can make a billion dollars when Godzilla versus Kong makes almost half that. I don't think it's all that impossible to believe. And by the way, James Bonner writes in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, James. I appreciate that, dude. So what I want to do here is I want to run down. Let me see how many you got. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. I want to go through 13 films that I believe have a chance at a billion dollars, and we will give them percentages 
as to what I think the percentage chance is that those films can make a billion dollars. And then once I get through all you guys in the live chat, I'm going to need your help. Once I get through that list, I want to hear from you if there are any films that I left off the list that you think may have a chance at a billion dollars. Don't send them in yet in the live chats. Wait, wait till I get through the list and then we'll go through it. All right. So let's go over, shall we, to the Campia classroom. Chances to make a billion dollars. First one we'll ask is Fast 9. Fast 9. All right. Obviously, a number of the Fast and Furious movies have made billions of dollars. The new one's coming out. The new one's terrible, by the way. It's all subjective. You may love it. If you do, that's great. I celebrate that. I thought it was a terrible movie. Even though I love 4, 5, 6, 7, and I really liked 8 as well, 9 was terrible. Anyway, can F9 make join the Billion Dollar Club? I'm going to give it a 19% chance. 19% chance. Now, some of you may be saying, John, wait, John, 19%? What? Isn't that kind of low? Hear me out. Fast 9 has already opened in a lot of international markets. And while it has done very well for the pandemic era, it is massively, Forbes did a good comparison chart on this. It is massively fought behind where previous Fast and Furious movies have made money in those territories already. So right now, being open in a number of international territories has made about 200 and something million dollars. According to Forbes, at this point, like Fast 7 had already made about 400 and something million in those same markets. The reality is, is that we are still early in the pandemic stage, early in us getting out of the pandemic stage. There are still going to be some places around the world that are not at full theater capacity, all that kind of stuff. So I and, and I believe there's going to be a lot of negative word of mouth about Fast 9. That's just my opinion. I might be wrong about that because it's all subjective. But I believe there's going to be a lot of uh, negative word of mouth. So it is still Fast 9. So I'm going to say it has a 19% chance of getting to that billion dollar mark. Well, let's talk MCU then. Let's talk Black Widow. Oh, that's right. Scarlett Johansson and all of her hair color changing sexiness coming back with a Black Widow movie. It is an MCU film. So you would think the number and percentage of this would be rather high. I'm just curious. Ever, all you guys in the live chat, give me your percentage of Black Widow right now. Fire in your percentage chance of you think Black Widow making a billion dollars. And then I will tell you mine. So uh, Black Widow's coming out here. It's coming up pretty quick. Some of you are saying no chance. Some are saying 50%. Uh, Diego is saying 73%. Luis is saying 60%. I'm going to tell you what. Black Widow has a 10% chance of making a billion dollars. 10% chance. John, why so low? Do you not believe in the MCU? Of course I believe in the MCU. And I do believe Black Widow. I see a lot of six, very high numbers. Like some of you saying 30, uh, some of you are saying 40, 60, 75. Some of you are saying 100%. Um, uh, somebody said, I uh, probably more accurate, 2%. Uh, John D is saying, what do I got? John D is saying, uh, no, Ellis Films is saying 30%. Casual is saying 25%. Black Robin is saying 65%. It's 10%. It's 10%, and I'll tell you why. The reason I'm going to say 10% is because of a couple of factors. One, Black Widow is not the most popular MCU character. Two, 
This is a prequel movie when we already know what happens to Black Widow. Three, much like F9, Black Widow is coming out early. So there's still going to be a lot of theaters, a lot of places around the world where theaters aren't even open, and a lot of places where they are open will have limited capacity and all that kind of stuff. So that's working against it as well. But the big thing working against it, okay, and John Uchila in the live chat just, just nailed it, and so did Jonas Diaz. The big thing that's working against it is Disney+. Plus. Don't forget, Disney made the decision because they knew Black Widow was still going to be kind of in, in the early phases of the pandemic recovery. They made the decision to make it Disney Plus and theaters at the same time. Even without Disney Plus, it would be very, very difficult right now for Black Widow to make a billion dollars. You add on to that the fact that there's going to be some people that just aren't going to go to the movie theaters and they're just going to stay home and watch it at home. And that works against the box office. That's going to work against it as well. And so I'm saying Black Widow has a 10% chance of making a billion dollars. All right, let's go on to the next one. And we're going to talk about my boy, James Gunn. All right, my boy, James Gunn, Suicide Squad. I'm extremely hyped about this. I think the trailer was fantastic. It comes out a little bit later than films like Fast 9 and Black Widow. I think there's going to be a lot of energy and excitement surrounding this film. I think we're going to be more, even more emerging out of the the whole pandemic thing when it comes. So I'm actually going to give Suicide Squad a 35% chance of hitting, of making the billion dollar club. Now, again, 35% is still like one in three. It still means I don't think it's going to make a billion dollars, but I do think it has some advantages over F9 and Black Widow that we've already talked about. So I'm going to say, I'm going to put this one at 35%. Uh, Dylan is saying 30. Uh, Some of you are saying 25%. I'm seeing 15. Some people are saying zero. That don't, zero is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to say zero. I do think it's, it's unlikely. Some are saying as high as 65%. Who is just saying 65%? Ralph, Quinosis is saying 65%. Andrew Williams is saying 5%. Patrick is saying 90%. Really? So I'm seeing I'm seeing a big, there seems to be no consensus here. Some of you think it's absolutely going to make a billion. Some of you are saying no chance at all. I'm saying it is unlikely. It is very unlikely, but I'm still going to say it's got a better chance than Blackwood or F9 because of those circumstances. So I'm going to say Suicide Squad at 35%. All right. We were just talking about this movie. Let's talk about it again, shall we? Shang-Chi with Simu Liu, no longer of Kim's convenience. All right, hear me out here. I'm going to say Shang-Chi has a 40% chance of making a billion dollars. Hear me out. Before you all get, what are you, what are you smoking, Campy? Give me some of that good stuff. I'm, I'm telling you it's 40%. And here's why. The recent kind of trend we've been seeing is when a superhero genre in more recent years has made a first movie featuring and starring an underrepresented demographic group as the hero, the box office results have been phenomenal. What happened when when the MCU did its first female lead movie? with Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel's a good movie, but it isn't a great movie. 
It's good. It's solid. I enjoyed it. It's entertaining. But I, I put it on the lower end of the overall MCU experience. So it's a good movie, but it's not great. But it was their very first female-led superhero film that the MCU, in this incarnation of the MCU, had ever done. And that movie made over a billion dollars. Then, uh, or as well as, I should say, they did Black Panther, the very first MCU movie with a black lead. They had never had it before. And let's face it, Black Panther is not the most popular of the comic book, just like Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, Black Panther, they're not the most popular characters out there. They're not household names that even all non-comic book readers know and understand, like Captain America or Superman or Batman, right? And yet, Captain Marvel comes out, first one with a female lead, billion dollars. Black Panther comes out, first one in the MCU with a black lead, billion dollars. Do not underestimate the significance, I think, that we're going to see in the box office of the MCU having their very first Asian lead. Now, I am still not saying that ensures it's going to make a billion dollars. Obviously, I'm not sitting this at 90%. I said it at 40. But I think we should not underestimate the power of giving an underrepresented demographic the lead in a movie after 20-plus movies of not doing so we've seen the results it's had so far and that's why i'm going to say shang chi has as high as a 40 percent. not to mention the trailer just looks fun it looks great i'm very excited i think it's going to get positive word of mouth so i'm going to say shang chi has a 40 percent chance now i'm going to put the next movie up you might be you might be surprised that i'm even putting this on the list all right but i i think i have a reason for putting it up here and that's the many saints of newark now some of you right now are saying, who? You're saying, what movie? Many Saints of Newark. It is the prequel movie to The Sopranos. Now, I, I get it. A lot of you saying, wait a minute, John, you actually think this movie's going to make a billion dollars? No, I don't think it will. But I think it has a certain percentage of a chance. And the reason is, there are a lot of people out there, not me, but there are a lot of people out there who consider The Sopranos maybe the single greatest television show of all time. Now, there are a lot of people who believe that was The Wire. A lot of people think it's Sopranos. A lot of people think it's Game of Thrones, whatever. But there are a good number of people out there who consider The Sopranos to be like the show. The show. And I think a lot of us are sleeping a little bit on how successful this movie might be. That being said, I'm going to give it a 5% chance. I, I That's still really low. I know that's still super, 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 super low. I know. I'm just saying, I think it at least has, even if though it's just a tiny sliver of a chance, I think people should not underestimate the power that the, the brand name of The Sopranos still has with a lot of people. And so I'm willing to give it even just a little tiny 5% chance. So I'm going to have that on the list. All right. Let's move on to another one here. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I love the first Venom movie. I love it. I love it more than most people do. But I was also very shocked how positive the word of mouth of this movie was. By the way, Jesse Keller sends in a Super Chat badge. Thanks, man. Um, I was very, very surprised by the outrageously positive word of mouth 
that the first Venom got from the audiences. And I remember every time I saw it in theaters, whenever I came out of theaters, the whole audience was buzzing about how much fun they had. My wife loved that movie. The critics certainly didn't like it all that much, but the movie was great. Word of mouth spread. And this little movie that everybody said, that movie will never succeed without Spider-Man in it. Guess what? Made over $800 million at the box office. And now they're bringing in Carnage? You're bringing in Carnage? And you've got Gollum directing it? You got Andy Serkis directing it? Listen, man, do not sleep on Venom. The last one was very well received by a lot of people and it made over $800 million. I'm actually going to give Carnage, uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, I'm going to give it a 48% chance of hitting the billion dollar mark. Now, why not hire John? Well, you know, it's still not MCU. It's still not Batman. Um, we are still dealing with some things, but I'm going to go pretty high for this list. So far, it's the highest one I've got on my list. Uh, I'm going to say Venom, Let There Be Carnage has a 48% chance. A lot of you guys are saying 50-50. I'm seeing Ketchuk saying 50%. Uh, I'm Not a Troller saying 20. Uh, K Major saying 55%. Luis is saying 83%. Uh, Nico is saying 60 Rocky, uh, YIT is saying 70. So yeah, so I believe, uh, still slightly unlikely, but I believe Venom, let there be carnage has a pretty decent chance. All right, let's move on to the next one here. We're talking what is now my most anticipated movie still yet to come out this year. My most anticipated movie this year was a quiet place too. I've already seen it. So now my remaining most anticipated movie this year, Dune. Dune, do dune, dune. This, remember, we're talking now about chances of a movie making a billion dollars. We're not talking about which will be the best movie of the year. Because right now, my money is on Dune for best movie of the year. I'm betting Dune is probably going to be the best movie we see this year. It's got incredible source material with one of, if not the best director I currently working today, other than maybe Steven Spielberg and Denis Villeneuve. There's a lot of reasons to believe this could be outstanding, but will it make a billion dollars? Will it make a billion dollars? I'm going to give Dune a 25% chance, not $25 chance, a 25% chance. By the way, Rampage Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rampage. Um, I ain't saying that, yeah, it's going to be so good, it's going to make a billion. Look, the reality is still this. This is not a well-known IP. Okay, those of us in certain geek spheres, we are very aware of Dune. But Dune is probably not something I can go and talk to my mom about. My mom's kind of the litmus test for me for what could be popular with the average moviegoer. But, you know, I think there's a lot of people that still just don't know it. It's it's going to be a tricky one to promote and market uh, because of the nature of the story. I'm not quite sure how you market this thing properly. So I think pure quality of the movie and word of mouth gives it a shot, but I can't actually go over when I understand the popularity of the IP or lack thereof and all the other things at play, I can't go higher than 25%. So a one in four chance, but I'm not going to go higher than 25% for now. So we'll see what happens. Next up, Eternals. You know, if you had asked me five months ago, four or five months ago, what I thought the possibility of the Eternals was to make a billion dollars, I probably would have said, just because it's an MCU movie, 10%. And only 10% 
because it's an MCU movie. If it wasn't an MCU movie, I'd say like 0.5%. But it's an MCU movie, I'll give it a 10% chance. Well, funny thing has happened. The director of Eternals is now going to be the first comic book movie director to have a comic book movie come out while they are the reigning, defending, undisputed best director in the world with Chloe Zhao. She won the Directors Guild of America Award. That's all the directors pronounced and anointed her as best director of the year. Then the hashtag Oscars 2021, a hashtag I pronounced her as best director of the year. And on top of all that since then, her movie, Nomadland, which is one of the best movies I've seen in years, ended up winning best picture at the hashtag 2021 Academy Awards. So you now have a director getting a lot of buzz and a lot of talk. And because of her huge riff with China and her talking a lot of stuff about China and everything and China having a problem with her, that's putting her even more and more in the forefront. Then the trailer came out. And listen, a lot of hardcore comic book fans watch the Eternal trailers and like, well, there weren't a lot of explosions in action. But a lot of average filmgoers watched that trailer and were fascinated with it. And the numbers of that trailer were huge. I think they said 77 million views in its first 24 hours for that. So the numbers were solid and great. More, There's more and more talk. Here's the thing. I sense that Eternals is getting a lot of groundswell movement from average moviegoers, not the hardcore comic book ones. We're all going to see it because we're already, but I'm finding from a lot of, I've had a lot of conversations with like Anne's friends. We were just having dinner with one of Anne's friends not long ago and, and, uh, and uh, his wife as well. And just, you know, kind of movies came up and the other one said, Hey, can you tell me anything about this Eternals? This was really good. And I'm just sensing that a lot from people and it's coming relatively late. So that's one of the advantages that Eternals has is that it's also coming out even a little bit further away from the pandemic starting to end. And I am going to do you. This may surprise some of you. I'm going to say 65% chance. I'm going to say 65% chance that Eternals hits that billion dollar mark. In other words, since it's over 50%, I think it is likely that. And I never would have said that six months ago. I never would have said that six months ago. There are many of you right now who would never even say that today, and I get that. But yeah, six months ago, I never would have said it, but I feel it happening, guys. I Listen, I literally get hundreds of messages every day in email, in comments, in tweets or on Instagram or whatever. And I'm just telling you, I am sensing a growing momentum for Eternals. And while I'm not going to sit here and say it's guaranteed it's going to make a billion dollars, nobody can say that. I will go as high as 65%. I will go as high as 65%. All right, let's move on from that. Will 65% be the most likely? We'll find out in a minute. So let's keep going here. Let's talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. You know, I'm not really sure. This is a difficult one. There are a lot of people who are excited about Ghostbusters Afterlife, and there are a lot of people out there scratching their heads saying, why are they making another Ghostbusters? 
So it's a difficult one to read. The trailer came out. I thought the trailer was good. Listen, it's got Jason Reitman directing it. I love Jason Reitman. Good Canadian kid, by the way. Juno, up in the air. Thank you for smoking. Jason Reitman, who is the son of the original Ghostbusters director, Ivan Reitman. So, I mean, all that, there's a lot going for it here. I just don't see it happening. I am at most going to give... um, Ghostbusters Afterlife, a 13% chance. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to flop. It's not going to fail. I think there's enough interest in this that it'll be a successful movie. But a billion-dollar movie, I think a lot of things are going to have to fall into place for this thing to make a billion dollars. I think it's pretty unlikely. Successful? Yes. Billion dollars? No. I'm only going to limit it to 13%. Okay. We only got, let's see, four more, three more, three more to go. And this next one, is going to be Top Gun Maverick. Boom. You know, Top Gun. Everybody's won Top Gun. It's supposed to be out already. Top Gun, Tom Cruise is back. Maverick is back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Tom Cruise and the Tom Cruise magic. And you know what? The trailer's good. I like the trailer. I do. I like the little flashbacks to the pilots playing volleyball. I love hearing that big bell gong. Boom. And then a little guitar. Come on. Don't you just want to get in a plane and fly it when you hear that music? Of course you do. Don't lie. You do. You want to get on that volleyball court with goose. You want to get out there and do the stupid high five, low five. You all want to do that. Can this movie, though, make a billion dollars? Here's the thing working against it. This movie is, at minimum, 15 years too late. I think this movie is, at minimum, 15 years too late. And that is going to be the biggest thing working against it. It's still Tom Cruise. It's still in a ridiculously recognizable IP in Top Gun. There are still a lot of people out there who have very fond memories of watching the first Top Gun. So it definitely still has a chance. But I'm going to cap the chance. Successful, yes. Billion dollars, I'm going to cap it at 20%. I'm going to cap it at 20%. If this was a movie that was coming out 10 years ago, much higher. Much higher. But between the delays... And the fact that this was a movie that probably should come out 15, 20 years ago, I'm going to uh, go ahead and give it a 20% chance. Okay, two movies left. The next one up here is, is a character that's been very much on our radar and we've been talking a lot about lately, and that is Spider-Man No Way Home. Listen, Spider-Man Homecoming made a lot of money. Spider-Man Far From Home joined the Billion Dollar Club, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it did. Correct me if I'm wrong in the live chat, but I believe Spider-Man also did join the the Billion Dollar Club. The other big thing that it has going for it is that it's even further away. Like, we're talking now near the end of the year. Now we're talking about, like, as as the pandemic, and we're starting to come out of the pandemic now, we're talking about even more further months from now. So we should have all of our theaters, at least in North America, we should have all of our theaters fully open if everything continues to go well. All of our theaters should continue to be open, all that kind of stuff. Now, the reality is there's still going to be some people, even by the time we get to November, December, there are still going to be some people that are moviegoers that might still be a little bit hesitant about going out to movie theaters and think maybe, possibly, yes, But Spider-Man No Way Home 
and I'm mostly doing this because of how late it's coming out, I'm going to give it our biggest number so far at 70%. Because the last one made a billion dollars. It is Spider-Man. There are whispers. I mean, we're going to see Jamie Foxx and we're going to see see, uh, Doc Ock, uh, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock coming in there. Uh, We're going to be having all this stuff, a lot of excitement. It's definitely not a guarantee, but I'm going to go as high as 70%. I'm going to say 70%. That's a pretty good chance. That is a very, very good chance. So I'm saying Spider-Man. And obviously, if this was a non-pandemic year, I'd probably set it at like 90%. But there's there's still going to be some people, so I'm going to say it's 70%. 70%. All right, that brings us to the last one. Matrix 4. There are a lot of people out there who are very excited for Matrix 4. And I'm in the minority on this. I don't understand why any of you are excited for Matrix 4. I'll just say it. I I don't I I just don't get it. I do not understand why anybody has excitement for Matrix 4. Um like for me, John, what are you, are you saying you didn't like the Matrix? Of course I love the Matrix. Everybody loves the Matrix. What not everybody loves is Matrix 2. And I liked Matrix 2 more than most people did. Like with the twins and uh, all that. I, I, I liked Matrix 2. A lot of people didn't. But n- almost nobody liked Matrix 3. Like Matrix Reloaded, okay, but then you got Matrix Revolutions and that, that just lost a lot of people. And then after Matrix 3, the Wachowskis put out some of the worst crap Including that, what was it called? Jupiter Ascending? Was that the one? Not Jupiter's Legacy, Jupiter Ascending. The one with, uh, uh, shoot, Magic Mike Boy, Channing Tatum. Like, they truly put out some awful, awful garbage. Like, some really awful garbage that they put out. And so, when you consider that, yeah, the Matrix was amazing, but they all went downhill after that. A lot of the stuff they put out after that, that they actually directed... I think was quite terrible. Not that they didn't have the odd thing here and there that was pretty good. And you consider how much time has passed. I, I, I just gotta say, I wish I could feel a lot of your, like, cause a lot of you guys are enthusiastic for matrix four, but I just don't understand why there's any reason to be excited for it right now. When you consider all the circumstances and all the facts, but that doesn't mean it can't be great. And it is a very popular IP. It is a very, very popular IP. So what chance am I saying Matrix 4 have of making a billion dollars? I'm going to say 5%. Do, am I saying it's going to be a flop? No. I think there's enough people that are just excited about it that this movie will not be a flop. But do I see it making a billion dollars? Nah. Nah. I, again, this is a, there's a little bit of top gunism because when did Matrix Revolutions come out? Was it 2003? Help me in the live chat. Was it 2003? Um, I think 2003 is uh, when it came out. It, I mean, that was 18 years ago. This is probably a movie that probably should have come out 10 years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Maybe would have had something good there as well. So there's there's that. I mean, so there's that. So I'm going to say 5% chance. Again, I'm not saying it's not going to be successful. I'm simply saying I don't see it making a billion dollars. I don't see it. But it's possible. That's why I say 5%. All right. There is one more that I thought I'd save to the end here. 
And this is one that has had several release dates. It's been pushed and missed. It is the last one that this actor is going to be in this franchise. And we are talking about No Time to Die, the James Bond film, right? This one is difficult. And I'll tell you why this one is difficult. Because while Skyfall uh, came out and made over a billion dollars, like Skyfall came out, made $1.1 billion. If I'm not mistaken, um, I believe Skyfall is the most successful James Bond film of all time. But then after that came James Bond Spectre. And you would think that the growth would just continue, but Spectre fell off. Spectre fell off and it made still a ton, an ass ton of money, but it went from $1.1 billion to $880 million. So take the pandemic out of it and take all the release dates out of it and take all of the, how long have we been watching trailers for No Time to Die yet? Let's take all of that out of it. Even in a non-pandemic world where the pandemic never happened, I'm not completely sure that James Bond, um, Spectre, let me see if we can get a better perspective of this. I'm not sure that, you know, with James Bond Spectre making $880 million, which was a significant drop from the previous one, still an ass load of money. Still an ass load of money. Don't get me wrong. But even if there was no pandemic, I'm not totally sure that James Bond No Times to Die makes a billion dollars. Spectre didn't. And now you add on top of that the fact that we've been hearing about No Time to Die for well over a year. This thing was supposed to be in theaters ages ago. The fact that there is still some aftermath of the pandemic, all that kind of stuff. What are the chances that No Time to Die actually gets a billion dollars? Well, not as high as Spider-Man No Way Home and not as high as Eternals. But I'm going to give No Time to Die a solid 59% chance of joining the billion dollar club 59% of joining the billion dollar club. So that's what I'm going to say. I, I just think there are, it's got some things going for it. It's got some things working against it. Again, the last James Bond movie had no pandemic, had no delays, and it didn't make a billion dollars. This one does have that extra baggage to deal with. However, it also has the advantages that everybody knows it's Daniel Craig's last appearance as bond. That'll give it a bit of a push. So I'm going to say, over 50% mark, I'm going to give it a 59%. So if we go back and look, these are the films that I believe have a chance, have a chance at joining the Billion Dollar Club. Uh, the Effortless says Halloween kills John. Halloween kills has 0% chance of making a billion dollars. But hold on to your, to, to your other, don't list your other films yet, guys. Hold on to that for a second. But we go through again. We got Fast 9, I'm going to say 19%. Black Widow, 10%, because Disney Plus mostly. Suicide Squad, solid 35%. Shang-Chi, 40%. Many Saints of Newark, 5%. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, 48%. Dune, 25%. Eternal, 65%. Ghostbusters Afterlife, 13%. Top Gun Maverick, 20%. Spider-Man No Way Home, 70%. Matrix, 4 or 5%. And No Time to Die, I am saying, has a 59% chance. So these are the films that I believe that are still coming out in 2021 that at least have something of a chance of making a billion dollars. So now I put it over to you guys. Are there any films that I did not list? So we've got a couple here already. Francisco is saying The Batman. The Batman is not coming out in 2021, so that takes that off the board. Uh, Marcus is saying either of the musicals. No, the musicals don't. The musicals can be successful. Look at um, The Greatest Showman. But I do not foresee... 
either in the Heights or um, the Jets. Uh, what was it? West Side Story. I don't see either of those coming close. I, I really, I don't think either of those have any chance whatsoever. Uh, so I'm going to say no to that. Some people asking the Kingsman. No, they've never. First of all, the second Kingsman was terrible. And so I think it's going to reduce the interest in it. And that never got close to a billion dollars. So I don't see the Kingsman uh, having any kind of a chance at that either. Snake Eyes, no. Snake Eyes uh, being put in there by Isaiah Vargas. The reason I didn't put Snake Eyes in that is that, look, there are some of us who know G.I. Joe and and Snake Eyes, but none of the G.I. Joe movies in their entirety came close to a billion dollars. This is a smaller film. Uh, an origin story sort of thing, not going to have the type of appeal that would make a billion dollars. So that's why I give Snake Chance, uh, Snake Eyes can be successful. Snake Eyes can be successful. I'm just saying it. I don't believe it has any chance at uh, making a billion dollars. Free Guy, uh, Akash M is is putting in Free Guy. That of course is Ryan Reynolds. I, I mean, listen, Ryan Reynolds might be my favorite movie star in the world right now. But other than Deadpool, what it's not like Ryan Reynolds blows up the box office. I mean, his films are successful, but you know that and Free Guy, I nah, I, I think Free Guy will consider it a huge win if it can make 300, 400 million dollars. If it can make three or four hundred million dollars, I think they consider that a huge big win. I just don't see it having any chance of making a billion. Halloween, I think, has zero chance. Space Jam, I think, has zero chance. Uh, Godzilla is putting in. Uh, Hotel Transylvania, zero chance. Uh, Peter Cunnington is saying Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, another Ryan Reynolds film that I'm very excited about watching. But again, I would say zero chance uh, of making that. And by the way, Luis Maya sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. Um, let's see. What what else? Tomorrow War. No, I mean, I th- isn't that one coming out on streaming anyway? So there's no uh, for that. Uh, Dune, we already talked about Dune and Ghostbusters. Uh, Morbius isn't coming out until... Wait, so when is Morbius coming out? By the way, I don't think Morbius has any chance of making a billion dollars either. But hold on a second. Uh, Morbius uh, release date. I think Morbius, like the... Yeah, it doesn't come out till 2022. That's why we left it off there. And by the way, I don't think it would have made a billion dollars anyway. Um, <laughs> Jamie is saying in the live chat, Thunder Force would have made a billion dollars. Thunder Force. Mario Man 94 is saying, come on, John, Paw Patrol the movie. A new trailer just dropped for those of you you know, paw freaks out there, paw patrol, the movie. Uh, yeah. Sing Two ain't going to be Luca ain't going to do it. Uh, so yeah, anyway, that's why I left a lot of those ones off, but maybe one of these ones will jump up and surprise us again. Just again, one more time, the films that I believe have a chance that are still coming out in 2021 to make a billion F nine black widow suicide squad. You see my percentage beside there. Shang-Chi, Many Saints of Newark, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Dune, Eternals, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Top Gun Maverick, Spider-Man No Way Home, Matrix 4, and No Time to Die. These are the ones that I think at least have a chance, some higher than others. Spider-Man No Way Home, 70% chance, Matrix 4, 5% chance. Again, let me reemphasize this. I'm not talking about how good or bad I think their movies are going to be. We're talking about how well do we think they can make a billion. And by the way, KG, uh, KJ Criddle sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, KJ. So there you have it, guys. Those are my predictions about what I think the chances are for the billion-dollar films. Again, I understand a lot of people, for, and a lot of us, myself included, for a long time thought no films in 2021 can make a billion dollars. But I think that completely changed once Godzilla versus Kong made $436 Because if Godzilla versus Kong can make $436 million, I believe there are some other films coming out 
as we get further away from the pandemic that definitely have a chance. Question is to you guys, what do you think about that list? What do you think of the chances? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down, let's now spend the rest of our time together here today taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to fire in a live comment or question, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video. You can click on it there, or you can just enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting this channel at the same time. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so much for that support. Okay, let's not waste any more time and get right over to it. We're going to start things off here with Chris L., who writes. Uh, Let me see if I can get this centered up right. There we go. Chris L. writes, Have you seen the trailer for Terse on Netflix? No, I have not. Also, sorry about the Leafs. Again, more about my Toronto Maple Leafs and how bad they are. Sorry about the Leafs, but the Lightning are still in it, and we're taking care of your boy Brady down here, of course, because Tom Brady is down there in Tampa Bay now, and you guys got a Super Bowl because of it. A lot of good Canadian kids play on the Tampa Bay Lightning, so good good luck rest of the way because my Leafs are going to be playing golf. All right, next up, Timothy writes, One thing I missed as much as the theaters is live music. I just booked myself VIP tickets to Welcome to Rockville in Daytona this November and can't be more stoked. Gonna see Metallica and Rob Zombie in one night as well as Deftones and Nine Inch Nails. I love rock. Listen, I have also missed live music. Ann and I actually just booked our tickets for a couple of things. We booked our tickets for the John Williams Maestro of the Movies concert coming later this year. And we booked our tickets. I believe it's in November. When is it again? I can't remember. We booked our tickets. We booked our tickets for Black Panther in concert, where they're going to have the full orchestra playing along all the music as there are visuals up on the screens. I love those things. Those are great. And I'm about to book our tickets for uh, Alanis Morissette, Good Canadian Girl. But her album, Jagged Little Pill, I believe that's one of the best, I think, rock albums uh, female lead rock albums of all time, actually. I, and I say that without being facetious. I really do think it's like one of the pivotal albums of all time. And I love that album. So we're probably going to see Alanis Morissette. A little bit of that's because she's a good Canadian girl as well. So yeah, man, we've been booking some tickets as well to go see some live music. All right. Uh, next up, Initial D's writes, um, uh, where do we go? There it is. Initial D's writes, hey, John and Rob, obviously Rob's not here on Thursdays. Um, I've been a while since I wrote in. Hope all is well. All is well, thank you. I was watching your uh, Fast and Furious review and wanted to let you know that the back vault, probably meant bank vault scene in Fast Five was practical. Not really. Uh, Anyway, uh, it's really cool how they did it. Uh, You can find it on YouTube. Keep up the good work. I mean, yeah, I've seen the video. Uh, there are, there's practical, I think it's more fair to say initially that there are practical elements of that. But it is not literally practical. You know what I'm saying? But again, it is a good video, and I'm glad you brought it up. For those of you who are interested in it, you should go and check it out, the one that Initial D's is talking about. Uh, you should go and check that out. Thanks for bringing that up, Initial. Appreciate that, man. And uh, yes, we are having a good day. Thanks for that, dude. All right, next up, Willow writes, since it was just the 100th year anniversary a few days ago, have you heard of the Tulsa Race Massacre prior to watching HBO's Watchmen? The series was where I learned about it, and I wonder uh, if it's because of Watchmen that people are now talking about it. Yeah, listen, um, I remember watching Watchmen on HBO when they did their reenactment of the Tulsa Massacre. 
I didn't realize that was real. And when somebody, you know, I'm not American. You know, I, I don't know a ton of American. I know a bunch of American history, but I'm not even American. It's actually it's disturbing that I know more about American history than a lot of Americans do. But I'm not American. I'm, I'm more familiar with Canadian history. But um, when somebody told me that, oh, no, 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 that thing that happened in the episode, it might have been Anne that told me when we were watching it, that that actually happened. And I'm like, how can something like that have actually happened and it isn't talked about way more like that's that's like something out of a movie that type of that kind of atrocity that happened in America and I I didn't know about it and once she told me it was a real thing that it's based on I actually went back and watched that first episode again and just allowed the horror of it uh, to wash over me. And it is um, it is powerful in a very disturbing way that something like that actually happened in America by Americans against other Americans. It was horrific. Um, it was terrible. And I don't know how this, that incident is not talked about and taught in every history class in American schools, because those who ignore the past are doomed to repeat it. We're starting to see elements that would love to repeat that, uh, in this country right now. Don't pretend that there aren't, there are, we see it every day. Um, and yeah, it was, I, I didn't know about it. Willow. And when I was told I was, I was horrified. I was absolutely horrified. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, next up art teacher movie fan rights. Hello, John and Rob. Obviously Rob is not here today and Aaron isn't here today cause she's shooting her NBC show right now. Uh, it is my birthday on Friday. Happy birthday. Well, early happy birthday to you, my friend. I'm going to Disneyland Saturday. Nice for the first time since last February of 2020. Uh, how was your Disneyland trip with Anne? What are the first, what, what was the first thing you ate? Love the show and thanks. Well, yeah, Anne and I already went to Disneyland, but we are going again, not this coming weekend, but next weekend for our anniversary because it's mine and Ann's anniversary coming up. Um, so we are off to Disneyland again. This time when we go, the MCU Marvel Adventure Land is going to be open because it wasn't open yet when we were there last, but it's going to be open when we go the next time. Um, the first thing we ate was, what was the first thing we ate? I remember where we ate it. I think it, it just might've been uh, chicken. I think it was fried chicken. Because our favorite restaurant wasn't open yet. Our favorite restaurant in Disneyland is a restaurant called Blue Bayou. It's literally, it feels like you're in the middle of a Louisiana swamp and you're sitting there at your dinner table as the people on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride go by you on the water. It's actually beautiful. It's wonderful in there. And the food is amazing. But we didn't get to do that. We are going to do it on our next trip. And I hope you have a fantastic trip there yourself uh, for this weekend, man. I hope you have a really good time, dude. All right. Next up, James Hoffman writes, episode eight of Superman and Lois, which I didn't even know was coming, so I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Superman, uh, episode eight of Superman and Lois is great. Character piece for Lois Lane. Uh, great emotional moments. Uh, Tulak is absolutely, absolutely nailed it. By the way, I don't know if that's how you pronounce her last name or not. She was really good in Grimm. That's where I knew her from. 
Grimm was a really good show. It ended very badly, but overall the show was great. I really enjoyed it. And she was great in Grimm. Anyway, um, absolutely. I think she's the best Lois Lane we've had. I absolutely disagree with that. 100%. Uh, and we're building up the climax with edge edges, army of Kryptonians. Can not wait? Well, again, I don't go and I haven't seen it yet. I think a lot of people haven't seen it yet, but whatever. Um, no, listen, she is great as Lois Lane so far. Don't get me wrong, but the best Lois Lane we've ever had. No, 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 no. To me, the standard of Lois Lane continues to be, because, you know, Christopher Reeve to me, isn't even my favorite Superman of all time. My favorite Superman of all time is now Henry Cavill. Not that Christopher Reeve wasn't awesome. Of course he was awesome. He was Superman for a lot of people for many, many, many years. So it's not just because it's an original thing, but to me, Margot Kidder to me is still the bar of Lois Lane. To me, Margot Kidder is still the representation of Lois Lane. And again, that's not just because she was the original one on movies. If that was the case, I would think that that um, Christopher Reeve was still the best Superman, and I don't. I think that's Henry Cavill. But yeah, I think I think Kidder is still the standard of Lois Lane's. And this girl on Superman Lois is doing a great job, great job. But best Lois Lane we ever had. I'm not. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. All right, Ryan Loner writes. The Bad Batch has been very hit and miss for me. I, I tapped out of The Bad Batch. I stopped watching it after episode four. Uh, it's very hit and miss for me. But one thing I'll give it is that the whole chain code thing to control when people can leave their planets makes it a lot more believable that the Empire could wipe out all knowledge of the Jedi so fast. As soon as it's possible, again, I haven't watched it past episode four. Um, I, I watched the first episode of Bad Batch the hour and 12 minute long one. And I liked it. Surprisingly, I, I liked it. Episode two wasn't so good. And then episode three was also not so good. And it just, I just realized again, this is just doesn't work for me. So I kind of tapped out of it instead of hate watching it every week. I just said, you know what? I like the first episode. I'm just going to try to hold on to that. And I'm going to tap out of the rest of the episode. So it didn't really work for me, unfortunately. All right, next up. Um, James Hoffman writes one more thing about episode eight of Superman. You know what? I'm going to pass over it, James, because I haven't seen the episode yet. I don't want to know. So I, I, uh, no offense or anything like that. I appreciate you wanting to write in and talk about it, but I, I haven't seen the episode yet. So I just strictly straight up don't want to know. So I got to bypass your question right now, but thank you for writing in anyway. Anyway, Alex George writes. Uh, maybe just a producer question in general, but I'm curious what kind of role Kevin Feige plays in a movie after production starts. Is he actively visiting every Marvel set as it's shooting or is his role mostly centered around development and pre-production? It's mostly there. Now, here's the thing what he does do, okay? He, first of all, gets a 100%. This is where Kathleen Kennedy gets it wrong or at least has got it wrong in the past. We'll see how she does moving forward. But what Kevin Feige does is he makes sure that him and the director are 100% on the same page. This is what the movie is going to be. And this is locked. Then he lets the director go and make the movie, understanding what he can and cannot do and keep within parameters. But once the daily start coming in, while Kevin Feige doesn't go and visit all the sets all the time, I'm sure he does drop in and visit the sets now and again. What he does do is he watches all the dailies. 
Every production they have going on, they send him the dailies. Here's the footage we shot today. And then as they start to edit the movie together, he sits down with the director and the producers and they look at it. They come up, should we make some changes, whatever. And then they schedule reshoots, blah, blah, blah. He is a very, very hands-on producer. However, he's not there on set looking over the director's shoulders. He, him and the director already get on the same page. He communicates his expectations to the directors a thousand percent. Um, and then lets them go and do it, and then he'll monitor the dailies as they come in. But he's not there holding the director's hands every day. But he is a very controlling, very active, very hands-on producer. Really, Kevin Feige acts more like a... um, Kevin Feige acts more like a showrunner. Really, when you think about it. When you look at how television runs and how movies run, Kevin Feige really functions more like a showrunner than he does, you know, a studio head. And that's because the MCU really is treated more like a show than a series of movies in many ways. So that kind of makes sense. All right, next up. Um, see, uh, Gohan better than Goku writes. One of two. Hey, John, uh, I bet I know what you're thinking. Where the beep is the mother beeping time stone when you need it. AMC stock... Uh, AMC stock, as of me writing this, uh, is worth $68 a share in the aftermarket hours. To put that in context, this is nearly double. Um, this is nearly double uh, AMC's all-time high. So, John, have you been tempted to buy back into AMC? Not even a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts regarding the AMC crazy price uh, action? Will AMC invest towards even better movie-going experiences from where we are now? Probably, yeah. So, we were talking about this on the show. Uh, yesterday when we were doing the show, let me see where it is right now. Uh, AMC Entertainment stock price. Right now, it's dropped $4, so it's gone down to $64. It did get up to a high of about $68. It has dropped down to $64 right now, but super high. Now, listen, Ann and I bought into AMC, and I believe we got in when it was at like $2. And then it had that first big spike where, where it jumped up really high. I believe we sold it at like $18. So we made a huge profit, huge profit. And we were very, very happy for the profit that we made. And we got out. And then AMC stock dropped, and it's been down forever. Now, you can play this game, and I'm no stock expert. You can play the game you want all the time with of would have, could have, should have. But no, I don't regret at all that we cashed out on AMC when we did. Uh, it was the right move. We made a great profit on it. And this is a fluke. It's not, by the way, it's just dropped another $3. So you wrote in at 68. We started talking. It was at 64. It has now dropped to 61. It just dropped again down to $60.90. So it's start. Maybe I'm making it drop. That's right. John Campion talking negatively about the AMC stock is making it drop. No. Um, but I mean, this is a fluke. And it will drop down. All the uh, industry analysts are saying it's probably going to even out to about $10 a share. So you can play the coulda, shoulda, woulda game with stocks all the time. All you can do is make the decisions, the best decisions you can make at the time. Ann and I, we bought in when we bought in. We sold it when we sold. We made a really nice profit. And then AMC stock dipped. So no, we were glad we made that move. And so no, I wouldn't change it. And at AMC hovering around the $60 mark right now, would I buy into it now? Oh, hell no, because it's not going to go much higher. It's it's going to drop. 
And it's going to drop to a, not not it's going to go bust, but it's going to drop to a healthy number. So like I said, a lot of analysts are saying it's going to come in around $10, $11, $12. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, Okay, next up. Uh, Where are we at here? We are at, um, I just had to skip over somebody. So Gohan better than anonymous for privacy reasons writes. One or two. Your leaf's disappointing you reminds me of my wife, uh, uh, of me and my wife experiencing infertility. Dude. Your situation is nothing like mine. Mine is some stupid first world problem nonsense complaining about a sports team. Your issue is a real issue that can cause real issue. It can can cause real hardship and pain and hurt. So no, man, you are in a different league than me. Mine is a little whiny baby complaining about a sports team. Yours is a real life thing. So no, man, my, my little crying is no comparison to the real life struggles you and your wife are having clearly. Anyway, uh, your leaf's disappointing. You reminds me of my wife and I experiencing infertility. We've been married for over eight years. People complain their teams keep losing in the finals. It's like my siblings complaining that the only they only have boys and not girls. And I'm busy wondering um, when my first is coming. Be happy you, uh, what, with what you have, people. Again, sorry for your loss. Again, my loss is insignificant. My, my loss is a stupid sports team that I cry and whine and bitch and complain about because I've been doing it my whole life about the Toronto Maple Leafs. But like, it doesn't hold a candle to what you're doing. And you know what? I'm always... Listen, it, it, it is fun to complain about a movie I was excited about it turning out bad and how it depressed me. Or... You know, my my sports team that I've been following my whole life always sucking and failing yet again and talking about how it totally destroys my mood. But obviously we talk about that with the understanding that we know we are talking about very frivolous things and that there are obviously much more important and much bigger uh, issues in the world than whether the movie franchise we like is good or whether our stupid sports team wins a game or not. Totally understand that. Totally get that. But we joke about those things in the context of understanding we know these are minute issues. Um, so I, I totally see where you're coming from. When you're hearing people complain about their sports team losses and you're like, really? Because we've got a real life problem. You're totally right. You are absolutely, I mean, we'll still whine and complain about our petty little shit, like whether the disgustingly awful Toronto Maple Leafs ever win. We'll still do that, but you are 100% right. You are 1,000% right. All right, next up. Thanks for writing that in, man, and giving giving perspective. Thank you for writing that in and giving perspective. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, uh, Murray Reich writes, I saw three movies in the past week. That's a good week. Uh, those Who Wish Me Dead was pretty good. I didn't like Those Who Wish Me Dead. I wanted to. Uh, Taylor Sheridan is a, a fantastic filmmaker, but I was really let down by that one personally. But that was me. Anyway, For Those Who Wish Me Dead was pretty good. Not great. Angelina Jolie is still great as always. Angelina was great in it. Yeah, no complaints about Angelina. She was great in it. Uh, always... I also saw A Quiet Place 2, which was great. I loved A Quiet Place 2. I didn't like the abrupt ending. I kind of did, actually. Uh, Also saw Cruella. Pretty good uh, film. Great costume design. Uh, That was one of two. Uh, Emma Stone's performance was great. Absolutely it was. But the star of the movie is Emma Thompson's evil mean boss. She stole the show. Wasn't so crazy about the twist, but I get it. Overall, good time. Saw with my wife and my mom. Mom liked it, but I get her complaint too long. It was longer than it needed to be. 
Uh, and by the way, Marie Seifring sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, for uh, Marie. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, no, no argument from me that um, that Corella could have stood to be shorter. Probably should have been a bit shorter. Emma Stone was fantastic. But Emma Thompson, I mean, listen, Emma Thompson being great in a movie is like Perry White saying, in other news, water, wet. I mean, that just Emma Thompson. I still think Emma Stone owned that movie. I still think she was the shining star of the movie. She was incredible in it. Again, Cruella is not going to be my top 10 favorite films of the year, but it was very solid. But, oh my God, A Quiet Place 2 met every expectation I had. It exceeded my expectations. I love this movie, and I'm so glad you saw it, Murray. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, man. All right, next up, we've got Suthius who writes, I went down a rabbit hole of watching bloopers from Friends. A lot of people have been doing that since the Friends reunion thing came out. While watching, two thoughts came to mind. Number one, there were times where the cast would deliberately say or do something to cause a blooper, which would cause more takes to happen. I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure this happens during other productions as well, but wouldn't that cost more money? The more takes you have, the longer you're having to film. And two, what about the other actors and extras in the background people? Sure, I'm sure that they would get annoyed. Well, I mean, here's the thing, Suthius, and I totally get why you'd ask that and why you'd bring that up, because you're right. Um, you're right. But... You also have to take into consideration what makes a show great. It's flow, it's chemistry, it's dynamic, and all that kind of stuff. And if you've got, especially a show like Friends that ran as long as it did and was as successful as it was, if you can have a show where the performers are all having a huge amount of fun and they're all having a great time, and they're doing things on set that increases their energy and increases them just exuding joy and having a good time with each other. Not to mention, when you are one of the stars of one of the biggest shows, if not at the time, the biggest show in the world, you also have a lot of power. But I'm thinking if I'm a producer, as long as it doesn't totally get out of hand, the odd little prank or whatever they do on set, if that makes everybody have a better time being on set, then your productiveness will be even better. Like you go onto a set where everybody's miserable, it's hard to be productive. You go onto a set where everybody is loving what they're doing and having a great time, you're going to find more productive people. And you're probably going to find you get more done. And if the cost of that is, oh, we fell behind five minutes, then it's fine. Because I think ultimately that can lead to a better product. And so uh, I kind of liked it. I, I, I really enjoyed that kind of stuff, seeing when they did it on purpose. Because you, you just tell, it increased their chemistry. It increased their bond with each other. And I think that plays out on screen. And I think probably everybody had a good time. As far as the extras in the background, listen, dude, they get paid by the hour. They don't care if it takes extra long to shoot the shot. That just makes them more money. So they're pretty good with it too. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um... So that was where we had a couple of one and twos I had to jump over. So where did we miss any of them? It's because we had not Gotham. Everybody's hop scotching. Uh, Gohan, better to go. Um, oh, this was, un see, you guys get the questions separated. You don't get it in fast enough. So here's something, guys, just so you know, somebody else brought this up as a good idea once, and I want to repeat what they said. If you have a long one, I suggest 
because uh, somebody, and I'm not going to take credit for the idea. Somebody else wrote this in before. If you have a long or multi-part question to write in, a good thing to do would be like open up Notepad or something and write it all out first. That way you can copy part one and copy part two in quickly so that your questions don't get separated by other people's questions because that sometimes can cause us to miss something. Anyway, uh, so Gohan, better uh, aftermath to push this context is nearly double. Uh, this is wait. We already got that one. Was there so? Oh, I said the anonymous tipped Murray Reich. We got Suthius. We got Jordan R. Was there another one that I missed? Let me just double check this. Um, we did get the Alex one. We got the Gohan one. We got the anonymous one. We got oh, Gohan part two. We got anonymous part two. We got Murray Reich parts one and two. Uh, we just got Suthius uh, parts one and two. And now we go back to Jordan. Okay. Uh, Jordan R. writes, Hey, man, did you hear about uh, the Sony executive uh, Sanford uh, Panich claimed that there is a plan to merge Tom Holland's Spider-Man with Venom? That is a misrepresentation. That is not what he said. And we talked about this on the show the other day, but it's semantics are important. That is not what he said. Anyway, uh, now whether he means bringing Venom to the MCU or Tom Holland to the Venom verse is up for discussion. No, what he specifically said, um, what he specifically said was that we have a plan. He didn't specifically say we have a plan to merge Venom and Tom Holland's Spider-Man. He never said that. He said, wouldn't it be cool to see Venom and Spider-Man together? He did say that in kind of a joking way or a teasing way. And he did say, look, we do have an overall plan. And you're going to start to see the plan more in Spider-Man No Way Home. But he did not specifically say, we have a plan to merge Venom and Tom Holland Spider-Man. He did not say that. He might have meant it. It is possible that that's what he meant. It is possible that that's what he meant, but that's not what he said. And you got to be careful, Jordan, because a lot of people take that interpretation and then they start spreading. The president of Sony Pictures Group, that's what uh, Panich is. He's the president of Sony Pictures Group. The president of Sony Pictures Group said there's a plan to merge Venom and Tom Holland. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, time out, time out. That's not what he said. It might be what he meant, but he's not what he said. So you just got to be very careful about that, Jordan. By the way, we did go, uh, we did discuss this topic at length at one of the previous John Campia shows. So just go on to our channel, look through our videos, and you should be able to see our full discussion on that and uh, get our uh, perspective on that. Thanks for writing that in, Jordan. All right, next up. Uh, We've got, Oh, okay. Sorry. There was a part three for Suthius. Uh, background people, sure, they would get annoyed. Uh, having to sit through the same scene over and over and over again. Dude, that's that's a set. As somebody who's been an extra in like seven movies, I can tell you doing the same scene over and over and over again, that's, that's the world of making a movie. So... Like we always would joke, like extras always say this. Extras always say this is a joke, but it's true. The whole life of an extra on a movie is hurry up and wait. That's the whole thing about being an extra on a movie. Hurry up and wait. Like I remember, for example, being on the set of uh, Rain Wilson's The Rocker. Do you guys remember that one? Rain Wilson did that movie called, by the way, Emma Stone was in that movie too. Um, So in Rain Wilson's The Rocker, I remember they needed us there because I was one of the extras. You can actually see me in the movie if you know where to look for me. Anyway, I was one of the extras in that movie. They had invited me down to to be there. So 
Um, and they needed us there at 6.45 in the morning at this arena. I believe it was in London, Ontario, Canada, at this arena. Because, you know, the band is playing this big concert. It's supposed to be in New York or something, right? But they're actually filming it in, like, London, Ontario, Canada. Anyway, so we had to be there at, like, 6.45 and be ready. So we're in what's called the holding area. And you got to be ready as soon as the director says, okay, now bring in the extras. You got to be ready to go and be on the main set and do your thing. I was there at 6.45 in the morning. I got called to set at 3 p.m. On set at 6.45 in the morning, I got called to set at 3 p.m. And then we were there on set just replaying the whole scene. We were I was a crowd member. I was standing beside one of the character's parents in the audience just going, Woo! like, because there's pretending it's a big concert, right? And we literally did that for another three hours. Just replaying this one thing over and over and over again. So that is the life, Suthius. That is the life of being on uh, on one of these sets. It's hurry up and wait. That's the life on these sets. All right, next up, uh, Xavier Prine writes, or Preen writes, uh, maybe it's a regional thing in Seattle, but I constantly am, am bothered by people in the theater talking or using their phones in the movie theater. It's rare that it isn't a thing. I absolutely love going to the theater, but that ruins it more than not. You know, it's funny because Rob and I were talking about this the other day, Xavier, and that's probably why you were writing this in. About, we hear complaints about that all the time, but and I'm just being honest, and maybe I just have a horseshoe up my ass, and I'm just the super luckiest guy in the world. But, as somebody who goes to a lot of the big prime theaters and goes to a lot of smaller, little dirty, sketchy theaters, maybe, maybe once out of every 15 or 20 times that I go to a movie theater, do I have something happen in the theater that almost ruins my experience? Whether it's an overly crying baby, and I'm not talking about a baby that cries for a few seconds and the mother cries, but I mean like a, a baby that cries in the theaters and the mother doesn't take the baby out and the baby cries for like 20 minutes, or somebody literally pulls out their phone and starts talking on their phone while the movie's going on. Maybe once out of 15, to, once out of every 20 times that I go to the movies, do I have that happen? Now, Rob said he's had a similar, Rob from the Seattle area, uh, Rob has said he has had the similar experience to me. That is very rare. That that happens. So I hear about it a lot, but, and again, maybe I just have a horseshoe up my ass, but I find it happens very rarely. It happens. It happens. But it's like 5% of the time, maybe. Mm. And you can make an argument that maybe 5% is still too much. And sure. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just, to me, it's, uh, it hasn't been an issue. Okay. Um, okay. Next up. We go to, that's why I couldn't see it. All right, next up, we go to Man from Manila who writes, Hey, John, when you watch your favorite team play, do you have a superstition? I have a lot of friends that do. Uh, I do. When I watch Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, by the way, can't wait for Clay Thompson to come back. That dude, I have told people forever that the most underrated and maybe most important player in the NBA is Clay Thompson. And because they're winning titles when he's there. Everybody focuses on Steph Curry. Obviously, he's probably the best pure shooter in the history of the NBA. So obviously, everybody pays attention to Steph Curry. Understandable. Sure. Told, dude's a superstar. But when Klay Thompson's there, they're winning titles. When Klay Thompson isn't there, they don't get into the playoffs. You want to talk about how important Klay Thompson is? He's that important. And nobody talks about him. 
Because it's all about Steph. And when Durant was there, it was all about Steph and it was all about Durant. And I have always told people, everybody is overlooking Klay Thompson. I'm telling you, without Klay Thompson, this team doesn't win titles. And anyway, so I'm glad to hear you say Klay Thompson. Anyway. Uh, next up, uh, sorry, we'll keep going here. Every time they are going off, I never change the way I'm seated until they miss a shot. What's yours if you have any? I have none. As big of a sports fan as I am and as superstitious as, as us sports fans are, obviously, I actually don't have any rituals like that. I don't have a particular chair I have to sit in. I don't have a particular jersey I wear when a certain game is on. The, the one habit I have All right. And I haven't done this in a while because GSP hasn't fought in a while. But the one habit that I have is that when George St. Pierre is fighting in the UFC, and I'm going to see if I can uh, find this. When George St. Pierre is fighting in the UFC, the one habit I do have is that I go and get my, I go and break out my jujitsu gi. That's, that's what I do. So this is one of you guys recognize Dennis Zen. I think this was the last uh, George St. Pierre fight. I believe this was the George St. Pierre fighting Michael Bisbing for the middleweight title at the UFC. So like when George St. Pierre is fighting, I break out the jujitsu gi and I put on my gi because it's similar to the gi that George walks out on. So, you know, we get all psyched up about that. So that was me and Dennis watching the last, uh, the last thing. So that's, that's the, but that's the only one I have. That is the only kind of one sports superstition or sports, you know, um, habit that I have is that one. But uh, for me, that's it. But a lot of sports fans have a lot of them, man, from Manila. They have a lot of them. All right. Next up, we go over to, sorry, that's the wrong one. That's the gee again. All right. Next up, uh, Peter Cunnington writes, if the MCU adds the X-Men and Quicksilver, it will be confusing as he died. And also, if they ever combine the MCU with the Sonyverse, that would be even more confusing because uh, because became Aaron Taylor Johnson played Quicksilver. Now he's played a different person. Eh, it's not a big deal. First of all, I don't expect they're going to do Quicksilver. I don't think we're going to see Quicksilver again. There are literally 500 characters in the X-Men pantheon that you can bring in. They don't need to do Quicksilver. So they'll avoid that problem by just not having Quicksilver. Um, As far as Aaron Taylor Johnson, it doesn't matter. Listen, Gemma Chan is about to play her second MCU character. She played Minerva in Captain Marvel, and now she's in the star of the Eternals playing two separate characters. Aaron Taylor Johnson is going to look a lot different as Craven than he did as Quicksilver. So I don't really think that's a big issue. I really don't. The Quicksilver one could be an issue, but again, I don't think they're going to bring in a new Quicksilver. I think they're just not going to use Quicksilver. And they'll leave that out. The Craven thing, not a problem. We've had other actors doing that as well. So I don't think it's going to be an issue, Peter. I really don't. All right, next up. BK Dan writes, John, my favorite president in movies was Willem uh, uh, Devaney as JFK in Missiles of October in 1974. I never did watch that one. Uh, incidentally, he also played president in Stargate SG-1 near the end. Of- I remember, see, I don't remember who you're talking about for uh, Missiles in October because I didn't see that. But I know who you're talking about because of the president in Stargate SG-1. That one I know. Interesting one, because Rob and I were talking the other day. We, we've talked a little bit lately about our favorite American presidents in TV shows and our favorite American presidents in movies. So 
My two favorite American presidents in TV shows is obviously Martin Sheen in West Wing. That's the goat right there. Martin Sheen in West Wing uh, as President Bartlett. That's the best president in TV ever. The next is Dennis Haysbert as the president in 24. So there's that one. In movies, the ones I kind of mentioned are um, Michael Douglas in An American President. I love that movie and I love him in it. And uh, the other one is actually uh, Dave, the movie with Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver. I love that movie and I love Dave in it. So those are my two favorite movie ones. So that's why uh, BK is bringing that one up. Thanks for sharing yours, BK, Dan. All right, next up. Um, where are we at here? Skylar Hillman sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you, Skylar, for supporting the channel on that level, man. Appreciate that. Uh, greetings, John and co. I'm not sure if this is an unpopular opinion, but I honestly think the Daredevil show is better than much of the MCU. Personally, I want Charlie Cox's Murdoch more than the Spider-Verse. Hopefully we get both. I don't think we're getting Charlie Cox's Daredevil. I think that's, I think that is uh, gone and done. And I, I don't think that's going to happen. Is Daredevil better than some of the MCU? Absolutely it is. Daredevil's a fantastic show. It was absolutely fantastic. And while almost all of the MCU is at least kind of good, not all of it is absolutely fantastic. So like Daredevil is definitely better than like Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 3 or Thor The Dark World, or uh, I'd say it's better than Captain Marvel, even though I thought Captain Marvel was good, but... Daredevil's fantastic. Is Daredevil better than anything the MCU has done? No, I don't think Daredevil was better than like Civil War, Winter Soldier, Avengers, Infinity War, Endgame. Um, I could probably, the original Iron Man, the first Thor movie, Thor Ragnarok. I mean, so still a lot I think that are better than Daredevil, but Daredevil's a lot better than some of the MCU stuff, absolutely. But again, I don't believe we're ever going to see Charlie Cox back as daredevil that doesn't mean we couldn't see charlie cox in the mcu but i don't think we're gonna see that charlie cox daredevil kevin feige doesn't like playing with other people's sloppy seconds kevin feige listen kevin feige actively rejected the netflix characters that's right. A lot of so many people, even some of these Gus's gas station reviews dot fart websites were writing, oh, oh, the defenders are going to be in uh, in the new Avengers movie. They're getting all the MCU. So you're going to see Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and maybe even John Bernthal's Punisher. And they're going to be there. And there were all these reports going around that they were going to be there. Remember that they were never going to be in it because Kevin Feige doesn't even acknowledge that those exist. I mean, if you ask him about it, he'll say, yeah, they exist, but he doesn't even acknowledge they exist. So he never made any effort to bring those into to that movie whatsoever. So no, I really don't believe. Now, would I like to see Charlie Cox's Daredevil in the MCU? That's a different question. That's a different question. Would I like to see it? That's a totally different question. But the question of will we see it, I think it is extremely unlikely. I think once Kevin Feige brings Daredevil into the MCU, it'll be a brand new Kevin Feige created Daredevil, not somebody else's sloppy seconds. Hey, listen, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Stranger things could happen. Definitely could. But I think it would be dangerous to be holding out hope for that because I don't think it'll happen. But we'll see. We'll see. Anything's possible in this business, man. Anything is possible. All right. Next up. Um... Let's see. That was Skylar, I think. Okay, and by the way, Skylar, again, thank you for tipping in that much, man. And thank you for supporting our channel on that level. Caleb writes, 
You said AirDrop might make you get an iPhone. Yes. But Samsung has a very similar app called Samsung Flow. Yes. Uh, if you have the app on both the phone and PC, not sure about Mac, they connect with Bluetooth to, trans uh, to transfer. Speed is about 20 megabytes per second. Works pretty well in my use. Yes, but it uses Bluetooth, which is not as effective as AirDrop. And it's limited to which devices it works for. So... That's why the AirDrop thing, listen, there's a lot about Android and Samsung devices that I think are way better than Apple devices, like way better. But there are certain things about Apple devices that have advantages. So I am I am tempted to switch over and try using an iPhone. I used to use an iPhone years ago. I used to be an iPhone carrier. I switched to Android. It's just a better operating system to me. I just find Android phones to be better. That's my personal preference. But, you know, I'm agnostic. I'm not brand loyal. My favorite computing device is my Apple iPad. You know, my, my iPad Pro is my favorite computing device that I own. I have an M1 MacBook Air, but I have a PC desktop and I have an Android phone. I mean, I'm all over the place. I use everything. So I have no brand loyalty to any brand name. I have no brand loyalty whatsoever. I'm just going to get and use whatever I think is going to be most useful and helpful to me at the moment. And that's why I'm currently thinking, because that AirDrop feature, man, with the way I use my phone, it could be very, very handy for me. Anyway, uh, next up. Caleb also writes, also, do you think Warner Brothers Discovery deal is the biggest moving news story of the year so far? Yes. Yeah, I do. I do think it's the biggest movie news story of the year so far. Uh, not overall narrative like theaters reopening, but single story slash headline. What else is up there? Maybe Godzilla versus Kong opening weekend and Amazon slash MGM deal. Those are right up there. Yeah. So obviously, look, the bigger ongoing story, even though it's 2021 now, is still the pandemic. The biggest movie news story of 2021 is still the pandemic. But if we're talking about just individual stories, Yes, the discovering discovery acquiring Warner Media is easily the biggest story of the year, and it will be the biggest story of the year by the time 2021 ends. I can't see anything happening that's going to top discovery acquiring Warner Media beating it for the number one story of the year. That said, right now, um, the other two that I would say are right there are exactly what you just mentioned, Caleb. Godzilla versus Kong coming out and making over $400 million at the box office. That is a huge story. Huge. Especially considering the pandemic era that we're in. Massive. And then Amazon acquiring MGM, while not as big as Discovery acquiring Warner Media, it's definitely a big story. So yeah, man, I think you nailed it. I think those three are the biggest stories, movie news stories of the year thus far. Uh, well said, man. All right, next up, BK Dan writes, John, call me a pessimist. I say realist. No Way Home will be lucky to eke out $500 million. What? No, man, no. Uh, no Way Home will be lucky to eke eke out $500 million because we'll still be reeling in pandemic issues. Not nearly as much by the time this movie comes out without pandemic. Most definitely would push, uh, if not break a hundred billion now, not so much. No way, BK, no way. Listen, we are already in the process of exiting out of the pandemic era. By the time Spider-Man no way home comes out, we'll be well past it. But the reality is this. There is no way that Godzilla versus Kong 
can make nearly $500 million. And Spider-Man No Way Home coming out months later, maybe half a year later, isn't going to easily blow by the $500 million mark. No way. No way. I mean, I, I, I respect you trying to be a realist. I do. But in a world where Godzilla versus Kong, a movie that is following up Godzilla King of the Monsters that only made 300 something million dollars at the box office, and it comes out early in the pandemic recovery and makes $436 million. And you think Spider-Man No Way Home in November, December? Coming off of a one point something billion dollar film in Spider-Man Homecoming, and you don't think that one can easily blow by 500 million? Dude. My film-loving brother, I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. I think it definitely, definitely easily blows by 500 million. No problem. The question becomes, will it hit a billion? That's not a sure thing, but I'm still giving it a 70% chance. Now, Angel is saying now the future is unpredictable in the live chat. And it is. You never know what could happen. Three months from now, we could have a total resurgence of the coronavirus pandemic. That could have, that changes things. But... Judging things based on the information we have right now, if Godzilla versus Kong can come out early in the pandemic recovery and make $436 million when its previous film only made 300 something, then six months later, a Spider-Man No Way Home coming off of a billion dollar film is easily going to blow by that mark. I, I think no problems, no problems whatsoever. The question becomes whether it would make a billion or not. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Uh, next up we have, cause I just don't see Spider-Man no way home roughly making the same as Godzilla versus Kong. It, it's just no way. Anyway, Dan also writes, John also just wanted to ask, uh, what with star Wars being one of, if not your favorite franchise, easily my favorite franchise inquiring minds want to know, uh, do toy own other hats do, you probably meant do you. Do you own other hats besides Star Wars? Uh, just kidding. Keep up the good work. Uh, whatever hat you're wearing. Actually, it's funny you bring that up. Hold on a second. Let me, let me bring up the screen for a second. One, one minute. One minute. Okay. Okay. I'm back. Nobody panic. Nobody panic. I'm back. Okay. So, uh, yeah. The, the two hats. I have many hats. A lot of them are Canadian hats. Uh, Canada hats. But my two favorite hats uh, that I wear are these two Star Wars hats, right? Um, now, mostly I wear this one for a couple of reasons. One, this is a very comfortable hat. Uh, plus, because I've worn it so much, um, because I've worn it so much, it's kind of become uh, symbolic of the show. Me wearing this hat has kind of become symbolic of the show. Now, I've worn this one in a couple of videos recently, and some people have been asking me, hey, John... Um, is that a new hat? We haven't seen you wear that hat before. Is that a brand new hat? Oh no, I've had this hat for freaking ever. Like this hat, some of you who have watched me for a really long time might remember this hat, but I've had this hat forever. I mean, I'm talking like early, like pre AMC days. Like here's a, here's a show I'm doing with me and the wonderful Gray Drake. I love Gray Drake. Uh, and uh, of course the great, uh, R.I.P. John Schnepp uh, there. Uh, so this was me wearing this exact hat. I don't know. What's this? Eight years ago? 
This might have been eight years ago. So yeah, a couple of people have been seeing me wear this one recently and thought, oh, that's a brand new one for you, John. No, 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 no. I've had this like, I've probably had this hat for 10 years. I've probably owned that hat for about 10 years, to be honest with you. But yes, I do have a couple of other hats. Uh, I do have a couple of other hats, but uh, they're mostly one with Canadian. I have Tron Maple Leafs hat. Uh, I have an, a couple of Avengers hats, but a lot of my other hats are just Canadian flags, but I don't really wear them often. The ones I wear mostly are these two. Uh, this one, like I said, I've had for over 10 years and I've been wearing it in videos for a long time. Just not a lot recently because more and more, this one kind of becomes more associated with my show. So I've been wearing this one more than any other. So uh, I never thought anybody would ask me about my hats, but there you go. Yeah, I've had these hats for a very, very, very long time. And I'll probably, these will probably remain my two main hats for a long time to come. All right. Uh, let's see here. Let's keep going here. Next up. Uh, that was BK. Next up, uh, Jolsey81, who writes, Mate, the YouTube gods served me well today. I just recovered from a laughing fit from watching Michael Rapoport as a guest on Collider. I remember this day. As a uh, guest on Collider reacting to the synopsis of Kong Skull Island, you, Schnepp, Harloff, and John's reaction to his tangent was comedy gold. Listen, I know a lot of people have opinions about different opinions about Michael Rapoport. I get that. And I, I all do respect everybody who has, you know, different opinions about Michael Rapoport. We had Michael Rapoport on, I think twice on movie talk and both times I almost fell out of my chair laughing. God, that dude was hilarious on that show. When, when he was guesting on the show, he was so freaking hilarious. So incredibly hilarious. And when he went off about comic book movies was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And I disagreed with everything he said, but him going off on comic book movies was truly gold. Uh, every time he was on, he was great. And so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, those are good times. Those are good times. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Russell Amador who writes, Hey, John, by any chance, have you seen the movie uh, Drunk Bus? I have not. Uh, it just recently came out, and after reading some of its reviews, I was sold. The trailer doesn't do the movie justice, but if you ever have one hour and 40 minutes to give, I'd highly recommend. Never heard of it myself, honestly, but I'm sure probably other people have, and now they know they're not alone. So I'll keep my eye open for it. But yeah, to be honest with you, Russell, I've never seen or heard of it myself, so I don't know much about it. All right, next up, Gerald, uh, Gerald Yelverton writes, Sony owns rights to Spider-Man. Are the characters all-encompassing or at the point of contact of contract? For example, if Marvel Comics created a new Spider-Man character, hero or villain tomorrow, is that character Sony's or Disney's to use? Thanks, John. You know what? That is a great question. That's a great question. I suspect the answer to that question is if once Marvel Comics introduces a new character that is clearly a character of the Spider-Man world, I believe the movie rights to that character are automatically belong to Sony. Now, it's possible that they don't, depending on how they negotiated the contract. But I only say I suspect that because in Marvel's contract with Fox, 
Marvel started to straight up stop introducing new characters because they didn't have the movie rights to them once they created them for the X-Men universe. And so there was some stuff going on between Marvel and Fox about that. Now, whether or not Sony has those same clauses and has those those exact same terms in their contract, who knows? Every contract is unique. Every contract is absolutely unique. But without actually knowing the definitive answer, I would say I suspect that their contract probably states, and again, I'm speculating here, but it's an educated guess, that any brand new Spider-Man, clearly a Spider-Man character brought up in the comics, those movie rights probably belong to Sony. Again, I don't know that for a fact, but just looking at how other contracts they've done have worked, I suspect that might be the case, but it might not be. It's a great question, man. Excellent question. All right, next up. Um, the image wizard. We just got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Talk about sports fan that gets screwed every season. The Mariners have never appeared in the world series and they are also in a 19 year playoff drought. I feel your pain. I hate that. I love these guys sometimes, dude, that is the closest thing to being similar to my situation. Cause I, you know, I have Edmonton Oilers fans writing to me. Oh yeah, John, we feel your pain. Cause the Oilers suck. I'm like, dude, the Oilers have won five Stanley cups in my lifetime. Don't go there. That's not the same situation. But the Mariners, that is a more closely accurate thing. So that is weird to think of it, though. Because you look at the guys they've had from Griffey Jr. in his prime young A-Rod. Like, they have had, like, some killer, killer teams. They've never made the World Series and haven't been in the playoffs in 19 years. That's interesting, man. That's really, I mean, I feel, again... I, I feel your pain, brother. I feel your pain. All right. Uh, next up. And this will probably be the last one that we do today, guys. Uh, Ryan Loner writes, I'll go out on a limb and say Zack Snyder would absolutely crush an adaptation of just about anything from the OG shared universe, Shakespeare's history plays. Uh, there's all the huge battles you could possibly want. I mean, maybe. Listen, we were just talking the other day about how Roland Emmerich, who is known for his big, big bombastic movies, made this little Shakespearean film called Anonymous. Not everybody loved it. I quite liked it a lot. And it was a different change of gear. So you know what? Tomorrow, if they announced that Zack Snyder was going to do his own Shakespearean kind of take, I'd be down. I'd be curious to see that. For me, it worked for Roman Emmerich. So yeah, I'd be down to seeing that. It'd be cool to see. All right, I said that was the last one, but this will be the last one. All right, Jesse writes... The scene I feel had similarities to Batman versus Superman and Superman and Lois was the fight in the lab. Everything from the uh, kryptonite gas uh, like Batman used to the villain standing over Superman holding a kryptonite spear to his chest while Lois tries to talk him down. Uh, I, I, I guess you could say there are similarities, but I remember you saying the other day, Jesse, that you thought that it took beats from Batman versus Superman. I think there's a big difference from taking beats um, from, from something and just having some similarities. I think there is a big gap. So could you identify some similarities? I think you're right. Yeah. I think those are definitely similarities. Do I think that that was directly taken from Batman versus Superman to draw comparisons? I don't think so. 
I mean, obviously you and I can't know for sure unless we talk to the showrunners to, to see that, but I suspect that it's just a happy coincidence that there are similarities. I don't think it was actually taken as inspired by the events of Batman versus Superman, but that's just how I interpreted it. That's just how I interpreted it. All right, guys, listen. And thanks for sending that in, Jesse. Uh, For everybody else still to come, Anton, Riley, Simon, um, and others, do not worry. I'm going to do companion video a little bit later. There's not too much left to get through, but I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later today, and we will get through all the remaining questions that got sent in today. But in the meantime, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in those uh, Super Chat questions, or I should say the the tipping questions, because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved here at the John Campion Show, thank you guys so much for that support. Okay, guys, remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.